Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners are celebrated as the backbone of the American economy. Each week, we introduce you to tycoons who share their stories and advice so that small business owners may learn from their experiences. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners. Join us now as our hosts connect you to today's tycoons. Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you live from Gilbert, Arizona. We're to the great best part of the year in Arizona. The weather is phenomenal here. Um, it's actually still going to be in the low 90s today, but uh, trust me, it gets way, way worse. So we will take 90 and, and we'll be happy with it. Being able to run outside is a big, important part of my year and, and in my day uh, during the winter. So I was excited to be able to do that this morning. So if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. We've been doing this for about three years now, about three and a half years, actually. Uh, we tell stories of small business owners, founders, CEOs, and let them kind of talk about what it is that they do, why they do it, their successes, their failures, all those sorts of things. At the beginning of the year, we're going to make a big shift in the podcast. We're going to shift to a little bit more advice-based podcast. And so we'll have some experts on. My business partner and I, Landon, will, my business partner, Landon, and I will be speaking to some of the advice that we give to the small business owners that we work with. And then, like I said, we'll have some experts from time to time to talk about other things. And so I uh, look forward to that. Hopefully you'll continue to listen in and you'll find some, some valuable information there. But with the uh, current format, uh, and not that there's not some advice that Kevin can give either, but we've got a, a tycoon of small biz on the podcast with us today. We've got Kevin Kramer coming in from uh, Sacramento, California. Kevin is the CEO of U.S. Cryotherapy. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Austin. I appreciate it. Yeah. So you guys are based in Sacramento, but as soon as I said that, I thought, I don't know if Kevin's in Sacramento. Are you in Sacramento? Close. Greater Sacramento area. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, welcome to the show and and thanks for being here, being willing to tell your story. So Kevin, obviously you've, you've got an interesting background. And if I'm not mistaken, you own this business with two brothers, but it was founded by your dad. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Well, the four of us founded it together and he was a partner. He unfortunately passed away in 2017. And so the three operating partners are myself and my two brothers at this point. Gotcha. All right. So cryotherapy is a is a name that or a, a word that gets thrown around today a lot. I think it's kind of come to the forefront, this health and wellness thing. I think there's been kind of this subculture, to be honest with you, that's that's been around for I don't know, at least a decade, but I feel like during COVID, and you can tell me if you agree with this or disagree, but during COVID, I think that there was this huge shift to health and wellness being at the forefront for a larger portion of the population. Yeah, I think we're still seeing signs of that. I think that, you know, sort of the long effects of the pandemic are the fluctuating economy as well. But certainly from a personal health and wellness standpoint, I, I do see more people are taking it upon themselves to find alternative health and wellness outlets, such as U.S. cryotherapy. Gotcha. Yeah. So you guys, you know, you guys really kind of founded this this business. So let's start there. Like, or excuse me, not this business, but this industry, I guess, is, is the best way to put it or this this system. So why don't we start there for those who may not know what cryotherapy is? Give us a definition of cryotherapy. 
Yeah. So for me, flashing back to 2010, when we were putting together this business concept, my dad had, had experienced it in Europe and came back from that trip and said, it's kind of blowing up in retail, came out of the hospital clinics. It's these walk-in chambers that you you go in and it, it's a cold shock experience. It drops skin temperature, which helps activate protection and repair in the body. And we need to you know launch this industry in North America. And so we put this plan together and a year later in 2011, we opened the first retail treatment center in our home base in Northern California and our flagship center in Roseville. And we have other services that we provide for, you know, from an alternative health and wellness and recovery standpoint. But the core of everything we do is, is cold therapy. And, you know, over that 10 year period, of course, it started from, you know, educational standpoint and an awareness standpoint. There were a lot of NBA teams that were really interested in it. Every time they came to Sacramento, they'd bring a busload of their players to our centers. And it, mostly because there's a European, you know, connection there. And it had been going on for uh, half a decade, I guess, in Europe. And then, you know, the industry started to expand from there. So competition, other products, and I can get into the different types of, of equipment that are available out there. But we scaled our brand to 25 retail locations. We've uh, lost a few of those centers as a result of the pandemic and struggling from an economy standpoint and the revenues, but are starting to see some stabilization and some return and growth, which is good. Gotcha. So, you know, you mentioned that at, at your core, you guys are, are doing this cold therapy, the, the cryotherapy chambers that you have in, in your locations, but you said that there are other services that you offer. So what, what else does U.S. cryotherapy offer its customers? Yeah. So, you know, we're really focused on the individual, whatever the condition might be, they'll come in and it might be a, an acute injury. It might be chronic pain, might be post-surgical, might be recreational recovery. You know, an athlete, either recreational or elite level athlete that are looking for recovery, will make recommendations based on what we're trying to do. Most of it is anti-inflammation based. Any, you know, inflammation is really the root of, you know, so many things that we've got going on from disease to recovery, right? So we focus on the whole body cryotherapy, but then we have added services that get to the, the root problems, which are compression therapy, which is like Normatec. Most people have seen that now. We have uh, percussion therapy, deep muscle percussion, which is like Theragun. That's widely available now. We started that before there was really any awareness for those services. We do red light therapy, which is becoming very popular over the last year and a half, two years. That's more of a recharging of the cells uh, and helps with skin, mood, and recovery as well, and sleep. Uh, and then we do infrared sauna in a lot of our centers, which is kind of the counter to the cold shock. You get the heat shock um, therapy and release there, and it's really uh, productive to do both at some point. And then we have some other elite level services that are more on the aesthetics and beauty side now. So we do slimming and toning with cold laser. Uh, and we do some facial and beauty treatments as well. So it's really a, it's it's a Medi Spa for all intents and purposes without a lot of the, we don't do the injectables, we don't have med techs, we're alternative health and wellness. There are no regulatory requirements around it, but we also do things very differently than a lot of our competitors, which we can get into at some point as well. Yeah. So before we kind of get into the competitor side, so first of all, 
every single thing that you've mentioned, I have actually done personally. Yep. I, I am not a professional athlete, but I, I think in my mind I am. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I go out and I do things that kind of kill my body and, and I have to, you know, figure out ways to recover, especially the older I get, you know, I'm, I'm pushing up on 50 years old now. And, and I realize that I don't recover as quickly as I used to, but I have actually found, and, and maybe it's because some of these cryotherapy and the infrared and the, the red light therapy and the um, percussion gun, you know, I've got a Theragun, I've got uh-huh. a compression therapy, all those kinds of things that, that I do. So maybe that's why, but I, I have discovered in talking to a lot of other people that I recover much quicker than most people do my age. And, you know, the perfect example I could give you is I I did a a half Ironman in September on September 9th. And people ask, you know, like, how long did it take you to recover? What, you know, what was, what was the next week of work like, or, you know, whatever. And, and the reality is I, I finished that race you, you know, you don't feel great at the finish typically, plus it was pretty hot and humid and so forth. But, you know, I, I did the things that I needed to do rehydrate and all those kinds of things where I'd fallen a little bit behind on that, put some more calories in my body. But then after that, you know, I kind of went back to the hotel and I pulled out my Theragun and I went to work on my whole body with Theragun. And then I got into an ice bath at the hotel uh-huh. And 36 hours later, I felt fine. I mean, the, the next day I was a little bit sore as I would climb in and out of the car. But other than that, you know, I felt great even the next day. But Monday I was back in the gym and, and you know, at it again. I, at this point, I switched to, to training for, you know, a Spartan. And so my training regimen changed a little bit. But I was able to be back in the gym the very next Monday without really much pain. And I, I think that it's a lot of these therapies that helped me to be able to recover that quickly. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the good news is you're part of 99.5% of the population, which are not, you know, professional athletes. But the reality of it is that, you know, especially as we age, our immune system function degrades to a certain extent. There's more inflammation at a whole body level. There are micro traumas that can become macro traumas if we're not, you know, treating ourselves and focusing on, you know, reduced inflammation, improved circulation, better immune system health, better sleep, better energy. Those things come with treating the body. So it's not it's not a one time thing. If you're in training and you you drop in for the very first time and try some recovery, you'll notice some benefit but you've got to be treating your body that way if you want to optimize your performance and your recovery and and the other things that I talked about. So the irony of all of this is we got into it because we felt that from an elite athlete standpoint, this would take off, which it did. Uh, And and we're in, you know, our equipment's in 25 professional and college sports training rooms. They're all using whole body cryotherapy and red light and all the other things. But for the general population, there are so many benefits we don't really even talk about. We we focus on a course of care when somebody comes in and over a week or two weeks of use, and we ask them to give us 30 days and try to come routinely two to three times a week at a minimum to really see how it helps change your body and your recovery and the way that you feel. And you know, we'll, people will come back and talk about their skin or their mood or their sleep patterns have improved tremendously. 
not to mention the fact that they're not in pain anymore and they're, you know, from a reduced inflammation standpoint, it's visible. So it's really good to treat the body. And our bodies were designed to be exposed to temperature changes, heat and cold shock. The problem over the last, you know, 25 to 30 years or more is that we live in a, you know, thermocontrolled environment. <laughs> we live in 75 degrees. And so heat and cold shock are really good to produce protection and repair modulating and hormones uh, and, and proteins that are very good for, you know, stimulating a faster recovery. Problem is if you don't do any of that, your body breaks down over time and then you have residual inf inflammation, turns to chronic pain, could potentially lead to, you know, inflammatory diseases and things that are really problematic from an immune system and an inflammation standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's about just a consistency, right? It, it's just like anything exercise. I mean, the more consistent you are with exercise, the better things are in the long run. So, right. you know, it, it's all about being consistent in, in everything that you can. So let, let's kind of move on to the history, right? So you guys launched in 2011 and I can see that my video's frozen. <laughs> but we'll, just, we'll keep moving on here. You guys launched in 2011. So t tell me how the industry has grown since since you guys launched it here in the U.S. It took uh, probably three years and from an awareness standpoint. There, was, there were competitive products to what we launched, which is the refrigerated walk-in whole body chambers. And we originally started by importing from a manufacturer in Germany for our first two centers through 2014. And we sold some of that equipment, but there were a lot of the nitrogen units that were coming in. And you may have seen those that are open faced, you know, your head's uh, out of the top. They use a liquid nitrogen, very large liquid nitrogen doer, and they release nitrogen vapor into this kind of like tiny sauna and it cools from the bottom up. And so it was really difficult at the beginning to educate the marketplace from a clinical standpoint, a safety standpoint outcomes, all of those things, cost of operating the equipment, because those units are very cheap by comparison, but there's a very high operating cost and there's a safety issue. When you're blowing nitrogen vapor in and it's rising to cool the body, you have to overcool the bottom portion of the body to get enough temperature anywhere near the top because it's all ventilated and cleared so that you don't inhale nitrogen and potentially asphyxiate, which you know, has led to from 2011 to 16, there were some significant injuries in that type of equipment. So how the market has changed now and that everybody that is in this space and in recovery and in the alternative wellness and even the elite medispas and, and multi-unit gyms and things that are getting into the recovery space all recognize the safety of a walk-in environment using refrigerated cold air it's, it's just more effective. It's ambient. You walk in the entire whole body treatment drops skin temperature. It's really designed to be a brain trick. It's a short duration treatment that drops your skin temperature, causing a central nervous system reaction with these modulating hormones and proteins. So the market has shifted, it's mostly electric and walk-in and whole body. There are some other forms, some hybrid forms of other products out there. And the market has shifted to this holistic whole body approach to recovery. So beyond just, you know, a, a cold chamber, now you have all of these other modalities that people are utilizing in combination to get the best outcomes. Yeah. So for whatever reason, whether it's marketing or, you know, 
the cost or, or whatever, the, the nitrogen chambers are much more prevalent, at least what I've seen. They seem to be easier to find. Everybody's familiar with those. And so, you know, it's got these, these drawbacks that you just mentioned, it starts from the bottom up and, and, you know, you overcool the bottom, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, with your chamber, what I, what I envision is my first job as a 16 year old was working as a busser at a restaurant and walking into those walk-in freezers uh -huh. that they where you would store certain walk-in freezers or walk-in refrigerators where the food was being stored to keep it cool. And so it, it sounds like it's similar to that type of a setup that you guys are operating. Uh -huh. And uh, so I, you know, I guess you can just say yes or no to that. But then the follow-on question to that is what's the temperature that, that people typically start at? And I'm assuming you, you kind of work your way down to a, a lower and lower temperature. Yeah, there's a couple of couple of questions there. I'll see if I can address them all. So the first is it's a yes and no to the walk-in freezer in that, you know, we're probably five times colder than a walk-in freezer needs to be to store food. And so we're we're running at about a negative 160 to negative 180 degrees Fahrenheit. What the market and the the nitrogen units, there was this big expansion because of the cost of the equipment and the independent nature of people opening their own centers and jumping on the concept as it started to emerge. Uh, there, a lot of those centers, the independent, the mom and pops have unfortunately failed in one way or another, either due to a potential injury at a location or just from a revenue stream and expense standpoint. And, and some have converted to the electric units for safety and outcomes and cost. So that's kind of where the market is and, and what's happened. But from, from the overall market standpoint, there's been sort of this consolidation. There are about three brands now, including U.S. Cryotherapy, that lead the market in terms of the whole body cryotherapy and alternative wellness offering. And then there are Medi spas and sort of these multi-unit gym groups that are, that space is growing. So when you look at sort of what's happening, it's, it's, very convenient if somebody's a gym member to have a recovery, you know, center in their gym to try to go and and you know stack that on top of their workout. So I think that's an effective growth in this space as well. But they'll always be the brick and mortar retail centers like ours where people are going in might not be gym users. They might be, you know, looking for post-surgical anti-inflammation and range of motion improvements. They might be repetitive stress, labor force type of issues, a bad back and neck, something from the workforce. And so those are the type of clients that we get most of the time. In addition to in, in many of our locations, the active athlete and gym user like yourself. Yeah. So <clears throat> obviously recovery is, is, is a big part of this, but one of the things that I learned recently that I wasn't fully aware of or, or didn't, I guess, really realize or think about is the fact that when you expose your body to that temperature change, and, and I think it works both ways, and you, I'm sure, know the answer to this, but you, you, you expose your body to that temperature change and your body starts to work to kind of get it back to that regulated temperature, that 98.6 that we should be at. And so in addition to the recovery and, you know, the, the inflammation and all those sorts of things that it kind of keeps in check, it also, because your body starts to, to work, it burns calories as well when you're in that chamber. Is that correct? 
some of that is so the 98.6 is core temperature and so that's you know you're taking your temperature when you have a fever and obviously you don't want that you know to, to rise above a certain level whole body cryotherapy does minimally if any affects core temperature it's it's really focused on changing skin temperature which which typically comes in around 95 93 95 degrees it's based on environment ambient whether or not you've worked out whether or not you're you know created a little thermal heat if you think of whole body cryotherapy i like to define it as thermogenic shock so thermogenesis is the process of heat transfer and so when you cold shock the skin walk into a chamber and everything drops from 95 degrees to you know 55 degrees in three minutes the brain is signaling is signaled and says this is potentially a hypothermic situation right i mean it's it goes into protection and repair and it starts to release modulating hormones and proteins that are very good for anti-inflammation one of them being norepinephrine which is both a neurotransmitter and an anti-inflammatory agent it's probably the body's most potent anti-inflammatory so it counters inflammation at the site. And then when you come out of, of the chamber, the body starts to rewarm. So there is some of that metabolic activity that you were referring to, but it's not, it's it's a very short duration activity. So it's, you know, three minutes of cooling and maybe eight to 10 minutes of rewarming. Might have 15 total minutes of sort of hypermetabolic activity, which is not really going to produce significant fat or weight loss. So a lot of centers that are out there in the nitrogen space and others, and this has been important to us as well, is to really educate more on the science of whole body cryotherapy and sort of the medical that comes out of Europe. It's like 400 studies on whole body cryotherapy on the National Institutes of Health. We focus on all of that. And so we've never promoted for weight loss. Although I will tell you that there are a lot of people that aren't very active because of an injury or because of chronic pain or whatever it might be that when they start using our centers, they become more active. And as a result of that and the combination of some hypermetabolic activity, they are they definitely lose weight, but we don't promote it as a weight loss piece. Gotcha. So a lot of it was close. I mean, and what you're thinking about is what's happening with the body. What I, you know, when the body starts to rewarm, circulation enhances. So cold and heat do two different things. One, you know, dilates and the other constricts. Right. And that's the contrast therapy that pro training rooms and everybody's always heard about. And the ice bathing, when you get in an ice bath, you're constricting all of the vessels because of the temperature. The problem, the difference really in water or ice bathing and what we do is that it takes 45 minutes for your body to revascularize because of the permeation of water into the skin and into the potentially into the core. So it's a different process. It's water is a metabolic process. Ice bathing is a metabolic process. By that, what I mean is when the water starts to permeate and get into the bloodstream, the brain tells the body to stop circulation completely because it doesn't want any movement of that colder bloodstream, the water that gets in and starts to cool the bloodstream to get into the core. So that that's sort of what happens. And then as your body slowly starts to rewarm, it's working harder, it's metabolizing a little bit eventually everything starts to warm up and becomes homeostatic. It's normal. Thermogenics is short and much faster and very different. Because of the skin temperature change immediately, Every the body shunts all the blood into the core. It, it stops it, but pulls it back into the core because it says, we're, we're going to need to protect ourselves. 
if this goes on for 10 to 15 minutes, it's, it's hypothermia and we need to protect the body. And so when the blood is in the core, it's being nutrient enriched and oxygenated, but it's sitting there to protect. When you come out of the chamber within a minute, your skin starts to rewarm to the, the environment that you're in. And slowly it starts to release that blood supply. So that's a delivery system for these hormones and proteins that have been released during the process as well. So thermogenesis or thermogenic shock in many of the studies that are out there is much more acutely effective than metabolic processes for pain and inflammation. Okay. All right. So you got cool and you got heat. Mm -hmm. Both of them have benefits, right? And so if you're trying to recover or you've got chronic pain or whatever, and the answer might be, it depends, but hopefully not. Uh, the question is, if you, if you should do both of them together or kind of back to back, which one goes first? Anytime somebody's going to do both, which would be our whole body chamber and infrared sauna, you do cold before heat. Cold before heat. Yeah. Okay. There's a, there's, unfortunately there's a lot of misinformation out there as well, but if you think about it, you want to constrict everything. You want to release those hormones and proteins in a cold shock fashion, right? The thermogenic fashion that I talked about. And then naturally when you come out, you're starting the dilation process of heat anyway. So if you want to amplify that and do, you know, infrared sauna, for example, you're going to get greater dilation and essentially better contrast. And, and it's safer because if you do heat before cold, your body is warm and your, your skin is potentially, you know, perspiring or moist. And that can be, you know, conductive in a cold environment where you could potentially cause, you know, skin issues, which we don't want to have happen. Yeah, so, you know, the first thing that I'll say, though, is that it's really important to make sure, and I don't know how other centers do it, but we follow a very strict contraindication, you know, ruling that came out of the Cold Air Congress in, in Europe when they started whole body cryotherapy that really provides a background for what's considered, at least at this point, and what's been studied safe in terms of the use of cold therapy and heat therapy and other things. So, for example, if you've recently had a bypass, right, we, we don't want to stress the system that way uh, with cold shock and heat shock. So from a contraindication standpoint, if you went to a U.S. cryotherapy center, we would offer other services, but you wouldn't be able to participate in those. There's, and there's, okay. there's probably 10 of them that are absolute. And, you know, when you check into one of our centers, we just need to make sure from a safety standpoint that we're following that. Yeah, makes sense. <clears throat> All right. So what's the difference between infrared and red light? <laughs> infrared heat is is sort of like convection, you know, cooking. It, it heats from the inside out. And so if you go to an infrared sauna, which I love infrared saunas, much more than just a steam room or a, a typical heat sauna, you, you don't notice it's you don't go in. It's not as heavy heat. You, you've probably been in an infrared sauna. Um, the the perspiration starts to happen, you know, sort of gradually and later in the process. So you can endure it longer and, and you're actually heating internally. So it's not really, it's not providing light therapy like red light. So red light does have some far infrared, but it's focused on near infrared and the blue to green spectrum, which is 
more if you think of it more like vitamin D exposure at the light level. So infrared sauna doesn't provide that. Red light therapy provides actually four spectrums of light that you're exposed to by standing in front of these panels. It's not a heat therapy, although there's a little bit of warmth. It's not like an infrared sauna, um, but the light itself is very good for recharging the cells. It, the cells need you know vitamin D and light to, to really perform optimally. And so you're supercharging that. It's like batteries. If you think about it, you're sort of charging the, the batteries. Gotcha. And I've seen some some centers that seem to have both of them in the same place. They'll put red light inside of an infrared sauna. Any negative or positive to that? I haven't seen that. I mean, you will see the and in an infrared sauna, the panels that they use seem like they have red light because that's it's an LED type of heat, but it's not really light. It's it's mm -hmm. really the heat. Um, so I'm, I've never seen red light panels in an infrared sauna. I'm not saying that it couldn't happen, but what you see in an infrared sauna is really more of the infrared panels versus a red light where you're actually, if you stand in between these two panels, you're, you see the lights. They're, it's very bright. And I, the irony of it is it seems like it's all red light, but if you, when you're done with the therapy, you actually see the blue and the green lights as well. Like when the lights go off, you can tell that you've had exposure to multi-spectrum light. Very different from an infrared. Okay, very cool. All right, so let's just go through the process of what it looks like when a new customer walks into your treatment center. Yeah, so we, you know, any uniquely new customer, we spend a little time telling them what we do at every station of our center. So there's, you know, typically anywhere between six to eight different modalities. And during that demo, we're talking to them a little bit about what brought them in, what they're looking to resolve. Typically people, you know, a percentage of people come in out of curiosity, but most people are referred by a friend or, you know, are looking for relief in one way or another, inflammation, pain, mood, energy, stress, whatever it is. And so then we'll get to know them a little bit and, and the course of care that might be best recommended. It's a first time customer visit. We want them to experience multiple therapies. So we'll include the whole body chamber and typically two to three other touches, which might be if they came in with a, you know, an inflammation issue, we probably would recommend whole body cryotherapy, a localized spot treatment following that, which targets the, the response and gets rid of a lot of the inflammation in the localized area, and then maybe something like compression therapy or percussion. So we're going to make recommendations based on what they come in for. But what we do, which is uniquely different, is we're focused on telling people you need to give us 30 days. You know, you come in one time, you don't go to the gym once and like you're done. Thanks. I feel great. So we say, hey, try to get in two or three times a week. You'll notice these compounding benefits, which they always do. And, and we'll credit you whatever you spent today, 65 bucks today towards a $225 monthly unlimited pass. So ultimately what you end up doing is spending 225 bucks, but you get 30 days of unlimited access with that two or three touch service that our technicians can, can advise you in terms of the best recovery routine. And many of those customers then become, you know, longtime users. They become loyal users. They want to come in just because of the way they feel. Their injury might be long gone or whatever it is that they originally came in for, 
but because their energy levels and their sleep improvements and their mood and their skin and all the things that are improving, not to mention the fact that they are recovering faster in their daily routines, they become loyal users and stay on, you know, a monthly program. Gotcha. So what, what is your overall, may, you may not have these statistics off the top of your head, but what does retention look like for somebody who signs up for that monthly service? What, you know, the history that you guys have, what, what percentage typically just stick with it for the long time? Well, that's, that's an uh, interesting question, primarily because of just the fluidity of the economy right now, right? So we were we were at a much higher level of conversion through 2019 and growing very fast. Now we have, we sell a little bit more of a 12 pack pack a package where somebody can come in and use it when they want to, but don't necessarily have to commit to a monthly recurring type of a program. I would say our conversion rates are anywhere between 40 and 45% right now down a little bit. We were well above 50 in 2019 but th those are people that then become monthly loyal users. And the average, I mean, people come and go based on what their situation is. They might be traveling, you know, they might take the summer off, whatever that might be. But on average, we see people for about 16 to 18 months once they start. And then a lot of them do come back at times when, I mean, I mean we have our flagship center that's been open for 12 years now that we have 60 members that have been there for over, for almost 10 years. So yeah. those people, you know, and they've been grandfathered in and have a little bit better pricing, but they're, they're regulars. They yeah. show every, you know, probably four times a week. Yeah. Well, I mean, with, with something like this, you know, I, I would still think that 40 or 50%, you know, revenue retention or recurring revenues is not, not bad actually considering. Yeah. The biggest, the biggest impact to the entire industry is the new customer acquisition right now. It's, it's getting people through the doors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so speaking of customers and them sticking around, tell me your best story about a, a, about a customer testimonial. Oh, there's hundreds and hundreds of them, but you know, I'll give you two actually very brief ones. Right when we started in, in Roseville, um, we nobody really knew what, what it was. And we had a high school football player that came in with a high ankle sprain. His dad brought him in, didn't really know much about what we did, but certainly he had just started his senior season and had the high ankle sprain and the orthopedic told him that he'd be out the, for the most of the season, six to eight weeks on the recovery, then some rehab. And, the, you know, you feel for him. The kid was, you know, beside himself. He wanted to play his senior season. And we said, hey, give it a try. I mean, you know, there's we're going to reduce the inflammation. We're going to get your range of motion back. You'll be able to start rehabbing faster. He was back on the field in four weeks. So he missed three games. And he got to play his, almost his entire senior season. And it was just, we've seen thousands and thousands of those types of recoveries. We accelerate that process. And it's it's well known in the medical community. Think about an ACL injury, you know, two decades ago. They would put that thing, in a, they'd mobilize it in a knee boot, you know, a boot or a brace. You wouldn't put any weight on it. Today, when you get an ACL repair, you're out of that. And they're asking for range of motion day two or three. We have like in Davis, where one of our centers are, we have what we get a lot of the UC Davis athletes get all the ACL, MCL repair cases, any of those. They're in when they still have, you know, stitches in, we cover it. 
they're in day two or three and, and in the chamber reducing the inflammation so you can start the range of motion and the rehab. So that's one of them. And then the one that's probably nearest and dearest to my heart, we're seeing a lot of, we're, we're partnered with the NFL Alumni Association. So we offer memberships and treat a lot of the ex-NFL players that are dealing with a lot of things as a result relates to their sport, right? It's a lot of inflammation. You've got the traumatic brain injury issues that leads potentially to the CTE and some of the symptomatology around that. And we get a lot of really good cases where people come in and are restored in ways that you would not have imagined. But one in particular, gentleman used to fly from Seattle to Davis because he was a former UC Davis football player and um, stacked nine treatments over a period of three or four days. So he, we'd allow him to come in three times a day with some separation in the treatments. He had self-proclaimed all of the CTE symptoms, rage, loss of memory, energy issues, wouldn't leave the house, you know, issues with light and sound. And in, in a three month span while he was doing that, he'd come once a month for not for the nine treatments. So 27 treatments. He sent us a video testimonial. His life completely changed. He was getting memory recall. He was not experiencing the rage anymore. He was out and about. He actually is part of a charitable foundation now for wounded warriors in Seattle. And he's doing all kinds of great things. He's active again. He was housebound for like three years because it's just, it, it was perpetuated by an accident at home. A garage door came down on him and, and that actually accelerated a lot of the, the symptom responses that he was getting. But the reality of it was it changed his life. And it was, it's just heartwarming to hear those kind of things. There's lots of those types of stories as well. And what we do, it's not medically approved in the US, it is in Europe. Uh, and we had always hoped that we would move down that pathway. But when you're starting a business and growing a business, we, we've developed partnerships to do some study work in orthopedics and other areas, but none of it is has led to a medical device approval yet. If that happens at some point in this market, it validates all of it. And again, there are four different approvals in Europe, and we hope at some point we'll mirror that. But that's where this market is going in the next 10 years. It's still very nascent, probably, you know, 25, 30% of the population still have no idea what cryotherapy is. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. We, we had somebody on the podcast way early on and had them come back actually post pandemic and, and give an update on, on how their business had survived the, the pandemic, but similar situation where it's medical treatment that is not approved in the U S but it is approved in Europe and other parts of the world. Um, and they just don't know if it will ever be approved in the U.S. So U.S.-based company, they do a lot of their research yeah. here. All the treatments take place in other countries because it's just not approved by the FDA here. Yeah, there's this there's this challenge in business, when, especially in the alternative health and wellness space. It's It's very benign if you follow your own safety protocols. If you're not promoting it for the things that are approved in Europe, like rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia and chronic inflammatory skin conditions, if you don't post any of that on your website or marketing materials, but you say it helps with pain, inflammation, mood, energy, those are very benign, non-medically classified categories. And you already see what's happened in the industry. I mean, there are thousands of these centers around the country, the equipment's everywhere. 
It probably will become more regulated because of the incidents that have occurred in the nitrogen units, unfortunately. So from a safety standpoint, the FDA may regulate it. They did put out a consumer alert in 2016 when there was a death in one of the nitrogen units, but nothing really has changed. It's it's still non-medical, non-regulated, non-invasive, um, but has some significant benefits. But, you know, there have been a lot of alternative therapies that have, have emerged that way. I mean, you think about acupuncture when it came in and, you know, some of the other, even chiropractic, for, you know, and massage. Those things are considered, you know, chiropractic now is, isn't, but non-medical. Um, but they're, from a healing standpoint, they're very productive. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. All right, Kevin, let's let's wrap this up by talking about you and your background and how you kind of got involved here. So, you know, it's your, your father, your three brothers, you're the CEO. Tell us about your background and how this kind of whole thing came together. I mean, we, we heard your dad was in Europe. He saw it. He said, we got to bring this to the U.S. But right. how did you guys kind of bring this whole thing together? And, and what made you make the jump from where you were having a, a pretty successful career on the corporate side to jumping over here to this startup? I mean, it started as an idea. <clears throat> we did some research I had from the dynamic of our family, more of the clinical and, and outcomes and medical experience. I'd spent 25 years in big pharma in a variety of different positions. In the, the last 10 years of my career, I worked in managed care and market access. Uh, and had built a, a really strong career and was was very comfortable there. The idea of bringing something that could help people feel better, recover faster naturally was extremely appealing. It just took a little longer than I had expected to resonate with people and get to the level that it's at today. But in 2013, we had a lot of decisions that we were making based on our first company-owned center to the second one that we were building and a lot of inquiries about the equipment and franchising and a lot of things that needed, you know, full-time expertise. So at that time, my dad was still alive, but he was retired and wasn't as active in the business. Both of my brothers are, are, were in different industries, risk management, one's an attorney and the other was the insurance business, and they kept their other positions. So we needed somebody to run the company. And I made that decision to, to come over full-time. And I've been here since 2013 doing that. And so, both both other brothers have contributed significantly to the business and still work, you know, two jobs and uh, contribute on the financial side as a CFO and COO and the other on the operations side in terms of equipment installations and IT and things that we're doing in our centers. So, yeah, there's kudos to them for being able to manage that. Sure. So how's that transition been for you or or more specifically for your wife to walk away from the corporate, you know, benefits, safe, stable to the startup world? I would say tough question to answer because there's some emotions there as well about running a business. I would say from the early on through 2019, when things were growing and we were adding centers and we had resolved the equipment and manufacturing issues here in the U.S., things were going pretty well. and We saw, you know, a very bright future and upside. The pandemic threw everybody off their game. Small business, you know, retail, health, wellness, alternative space got crushed along with the fitness space. And so there, we've lost some centers. We've struggled to kind of find our footing at times. I would say 
you know, over the last three years in particular, it's not been the best environment for any business, but we're finding our way back and we're surviving. And I think we will get there. But I mean, in hindsight, if you could go back as a business owner, I was invested in the business, you know, financially and personally, I probably could have taken it a little bit slower and done some of the things, you know, dual tasking the way both of my brothers decided that they needed to do. We really only needed one person to run the business full-time and then build out a corporate team and marketing and sales, which I did and, and training and building techs for all the centers and that type of thing. But it, it could have been managed a little bit differently and maybe kept some of the security that I had while acting as a board member and advisor on the business and hiring a few people. It, it's a, it's always a challenge. You know, you're so optimistic when you're starting a business and you see the upside and you see, but what you fail to to really recognize are all the barriers or the obstacles that are going to come. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good lesson for anybody who's listening or any entrepreneur out there. You know, it it's, it's a delicate balance between being willing to take the risk and then taking too much risk potentially. Right. And, and hindsight is always 2020, Kevin. It's, it's always easy to look back and say, I should have done it this way. Right. right? Um, but you know, the reality is you, you did something that a lot of people aren't able or willing to do. And that is to walk away from that stable corporate life yeah. and take that plunge. And so, I, you know, I applaud you and I'm sure all the listeners that are listening are applauding you for taking that plunge. So big, early, quick growth, pandemic kind of disrupts the whole industry, fitness, health and wellness. They, they really struggle during that period of time. Yeah. And even though there was this bigger focus on it, people were thinking about it more but they weren't going out. They weren't spending money. They were concerned about the economy are still concerned about the economy. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of, of headwinds that you guys have kind of dealt with over the last three years. So right. the question is, where do we go from here? It sounds like you're optimistic, but what, what do you think, you know, everything looks like from here if you fast forward three to 10 years? That's a tough one. You know, we, we have some centers that are doing very well again, and I, I think there's some stability there. I think the industry probably consolidates to a couple, two to three brands at most. I mean, there's, you know, some that have a few units to others that have large units. There's some investment coming into this space now, which is projecting that people ultimately will be, you know, utilizing these types of centers more often. And we're considered a leader and a founder in that space, which is good. So we've had some dialogue. We've bootstrapped the business and never taken any outside uh, resources, even though we've been, you know, contacted by a number of different investment groups. The PEVC model never worked for our business, for us, because of the <clears throat> interest in, you know, ramping revenues and exiting. And it's a longer term play. It's, it's you know, you got to build clientele and you got to build awareness in communities. And then you've got to, there's sort of a hub and spoke model where you have to launch a new location and then build around that. And it takes time to do that. And we were also always very interested in the medical side at some point as well. So, but we have been contacted by some groups again, and I'm hoping that we find the right type of investment group that really understands 
sort of the vision and the future of the industry and, and where we're going. And maybe there's some, some merger with some other brand and expanding it. It comes down very simply to units, number of units out there and expo like awareness and exposure and then average unit volume. And the key right now in the industry, if we had unlimited resources, we'd be better at it, of course, but acquiring the customer. And there's been a shift in terms of how that customer is acquired from a digital marketing standpoint to you know, AI, you know, functionality and all kinds of things that yeah. have changed the way we have to do business. And it's very difficult in a family run business that's been bootstrapped to stay ahead of that you know, curve by investing in those things when your business has been impacted by the economy and the revenue stream is down. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dichotomy, right? Because you, you got a few things going on. You you guys are a manufacturer, and then you also have the retail clinic. So my understanding is you manufacture and will sell to other people. You have the retail stores that you guys operate yourselves. And then I I don't remember for sure. Do you guys have franchise locations as well? Are you guys set up as a franchise? We do. Yeah, we're not actually, we have a contract partnership with the manufacturer. So we don't we don't have the refrigeration engineers and techs. We um, funded a group that built um, a prototype for us, and we helped launch their business. And it's CryoBuilt now, and they there's a product line there that we, as a direct sales entity, sell and are recognized around that equipment. And we had a good partnership with CryoBuilt there. They're the leaders in the electric refrigerated space, and they've expanded in places beyond just U.S. cryotherapy, of course. So we manage, you know, the direct sales that come through us on that piece. And then we have company-owned centers. We've got five company-owned centers and 15 active franchises. We we had 20 at one point. Total. Gotcha. Yeah. So we, we had 25 units through 2019. We've lost five through the pandemic. Two of the company-owned centers we've closed and a couple of franchises. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of different directions that, that things could go from, from here. One thing that I'll just mention to you, and, and this happens to be top of mind for me because I'm leaving tomorrow to actually go to this conference, but there's a, there's a summit, a main, it's called the main street summit. It's in Columbia, Missouri. And mm -hmm. I believe this is the first year, but it's, but it's put on by a group who's kind of flipping private equity on its head a little bit. Uh -huh. And they're, they're building, they're buying and building companies that they plan on holding indefinitely. Yeah. So they're they're flipping to this permanent equity type of a of a play, mm -hmm. and sounds like it may be a better play for what you're looking at. But I, I can certainly make some some introductions. But I would look up Main Street Summit and just kind of look at the players there and see if there's an opportunity there, and we can make some introductions along the way if that makes sense. But you know, I, I think that there are, I would say that there are reasons to be very optimistic about, about your future. Yeah. But with where you are today, my personal thought is that bootstrapping it at, at this stage is probably going to be pretty tough. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we all run out of money at some point that we either have or are willing to put into to this. Yeah, you know, that's the challenge in trying in funding is, you know, groups are coming in and looking at top line revenue and EBITDA. And when you when you do that, when you're a bootstrap family run business, you don't focus on EBITDA. 
you, you, when you're making money, you're reinvesting that money and building new centers and, you know, expansion and trying to add to your team and market more. So you're not conscious about that. And that's what makes it a bit of a challenge. Um, our concept, the what we've built as a leader in this industry, you know, testimonials that we have supports anybody investing in this as a long term play and adding units and the growth capital that can allow you to really understand the marketing dynamics around it, how to acquire the customer. We just need to find the right the right fit from a funding standpoint. So, yeah, I'd be very appreciative if you'd forward any information on that because we get I probably get two or three contacts a week. And it usually leads to, a, you know, an introduction discussion. And then when you start getting into financials and, and EBITDA and everything else and what our exit plan is, they never typically align. We, we had a, an investment going into COVID that was lined up that was really a good strategic fit. But at the, you know, got into COVID, they wanted to hold and wait and see how you perform during COVID. Then we started showing we were coming out of that. They restructured the deal. It turned into an asset purchase agreement, which for anybody out there that recognizes what that looks like from a private owner standpoint, it's a huge impact from a, a tax standpoint and liability standpoint, and it just didn't work. And so we ended up losing that deal mostly because of what happened with COVID. Going into the deal, it was structured more of an equity piece and it would have worked out perfectly, but it is what it is. You can't control those external things. So we'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely make the the intro and and it sounds like it would be a good idea for us to kind of reconnect a little bit after the show and talk through, you know, some of the things that you're trying to accomplish. And if sure. if we can help or we can make introductions to you to other groups that, that can help, because here's the thing. I mean, I could be your biggest. Well, not, I, I say I'm saying that the wrong way, but I believe in everything that you guys do and what your centers do because of what it's done for me. Right. Yep. And so I can give a testimonial of that. And do I have a platform? Yeah. Do I have a, a professional athlete platform? No. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I, I, I can't be that biggest testimonial out there for you and, and really push this forward. But there are certain things that could certainly be done. And I would hate to see a company like yours that were really at the ground floor of this in the U.S. not figure out a way to make it work for both you as well as for your consumers who depend on you at this point and should depend on you in the future. Many, yeah. many more. God, I appreciate that perspective. I'm looking forward to additional conversation. Yeah. Well, at this point, I think the best thing for us to do is for, for you to have, uh, for me to have you, good heavens, if I can get that out, tell everybody the best way to get in touch with, with you, find a location near them, you know, what they can do to kind of test this out and try it out for themselves. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Uscryotherapy.com. If you go to www.uscryotherapy.com, that has a locations finder for all of our centers, has information about franchising and direct sales of equipment, and it has corporate contact information, including my email address, which is very simply kkramer at uscryotherapy.com. Gotcha. Yeah. So I was just going to follow that up with how to get a hold of you if they wanted to talk to you, but yeah. you threw that in there. So yeah, Ke Kevin, like I said, I, I believe in what you guys are doing. I believe in, in the industry as a whole. I believe that this is something that will continue to grow. 
and and people like you and and companies like yours need for lack of a better way of putting it some help along the way sometimes to get the message out there yeah right it's you're 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 changing something or you're bringing something new to a whole population that may not necessarily understand the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard, hard road, you know, to, to kind of follow, so to speak. So anything that we can do at Tycoons of Small Biz or Backbone Planning Partners, we're, we're here to help. Outstanding. Thank you for the opportunity today. And I look forward, like I said, to speaking a little bit more. All right. Appreciate you being on the show today and we'll stay in touch. All right. Thank you, Austin. Thanks, Kevin. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us next week for an introduction to another great tycoon and be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.